Welcome to High Gluttony, everybody. I'm Gretchen. And I'm Becca. And today we are making ramen. And oh, did we learn so much when we decided <laughs> to do this in the span of about a week. We became, I was going to say experts, but no, not even close. Not we even not close. Even, yeah. Not even remotely close. <laughs> Have a, a much finer appreciation for the art of ramen at this point. Yes. We learned so much. I learned even more when editing because I had forgotten how much we talked about. But we did try to <laughs> we did try to only keep in the important things for you, at least as far as we understood them. We do use a recipe from just one cookbook. And I think this is what would you say, Gretchen, about a world level two? It doesn't feel too complicated, but there are quite a lot of steps. And I would say world level two only based on the version we did which was a pretty simple attempt because as you'll hear, there are some Robin, ramens that take days, months, years to perfect. So <laughs> what do you think world level wise? I, I think too. Yeah. Cause, because you're right. It is quite a few steps because we also came to this wanting to like sort of basically be ready to throw everything together and our prep ended up taking a lot more time so I that I do think that makes it go into a, a higher world level because it's not just like doing it but none of it's complicated it's just time consuming that's right what you want to pay attention to knowing your timetable I think actually you could make this easier if you didn't do as many toppings as I ended up doing <laughs> Right. You did a lot of toppings. I even did some frozen ones. So that made it much easier also, which actually I forgot that I did broccoli too. I forgot to put that on here. Anyway, sorry. Look at you. You spelled bok choy right. I was spelling, I tried to spell bok choy and I got it wrong. <laughs> if you can't tell, Gretchen and I are reading. We're reading. <laughs> yeah, we made notes. <laughs> All right, now now bok choy is spelled correctly in my section too. <laughs> and all my toppings are correct. We can move on. We can Phew. move on. <laughs> we didn't use any real special equipment and we both made our stocks in advance. So here's the process as we outline it in this episode. We're going to make our broth, cook our noodles, prepare our toppings, and assemble. And so we do a pretty good discussion about broth since I used a chicken broth as my base. Becca used a mushroom, right? You used mushroom broth? Yeah. Well, I made one. It was veg with porcini powder and an umami bouillon. There you go. So kind of mushroom, but not, I didn't use actual mushrooms. Okay. Well, porcini powder is made from mushrooms. Mm. So... (laughs) There you go. And I bet you had to have something. I I would guess your umumi, umumi, <laughs> umami powder probably at least had a little bit of mushroom in it. We are trying to distinguish a little bit with stock and broth, but we are kind of interchanging them. But the process that we go through is basically that we both have stock that we made in advance, as we said, and then together we're making the broth for the ramen. So Sorry if we interchange those, but that ramen has broth. You use stock in it, but typically you would say ramen is a broth and noodles. I believe the technical definition of a broth is when you actually use meat and stock pretty much only uses mm. bone. 
Mm. I think that's the generally accepted definition, but they they are really interchangeable. So I mean, it's not right. like horrifically different products. Like <laughs> we're talking about meat or really just any kind of flavored broth. <laughs> so. Right. Well, technicalities aside, we do try to distinguish that so you can kind of understand the process or the steps that we're at in the process. So here's how we are going to proceed through the episode. We're going to start with making our broth, and then we are going to prepare our toppings, cook our noodles, and then assemble. <laughs> Kenzie thinks yeah, Ken. that's a good way to go. She says, yeah, let's do it that way. She said, I was there. You just, I was there. You did a good that's job. That's how, how you did yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the truth. Keeping us honest. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Kenzie. <laughs> we discuss different types of broth fairly in depth uh, about the different types that we found anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm sure mm -hmm. we didn't fully hit everything as deeply as we could. Have. I mean, we could spend three or four episodes on ramen probably. So who knows? We may re right. redo this at some point so we can dive deeper into, I mean, we should really like at some point do each. Type. I feel like you and I are, yeah, that's totally, yeah. Each type would be great. I feel like you and I are just going to end up doing our own research on it anyway. So we might as well, once we have that, do our own, do another follow-up. <laughs> Maybe we can find a ramen chef to uh, interview. Ooh. That'd be fun. Yeah. Be really fun. So we talk about the different types of broth as in-depth as we can and as surface level as we can at the same time. We then talk about noodles, different processes, different or different ways to prepare them, ingredients, all sorts of fun things. And then we get into miso and Gretchen does a pretty deep dive for us into some of the different types of miso. We're both using mellow white miso for our soups today. So here, here's what I'm using for my ramen. I'm doing we do follow that recipe, Just One Cookbook, pretty closely. At least I do. Becca has a similar situation, but with no meat. Mm -hmm. So so I'll be using ground pork. And then my toppings are bok choy, shiitake mushrooms, ramen eggs, some homemade bacon that I braised in some soy for a while, and scallions. And then as Gretchen said, I'm not doing any meat. I just totally skip over that step when it comes to the recipe of adding your meat into the mix. I just jump over that one. We talk about the options of maybe tofu or ground mushrooms, or if there are sort of soy meat products that you like, go for it. But my other toppings are frozen corn, frozen broccoli, super easy, maitake mushrooms, bok choy, and spring onions. And I'm glad we talked about that earlier because I forgot all about broccoli and that was an important ingredient for me. <laughs> Well, broccoli's awesome. I love it. <laughs> and then we do talk about a documentary from Hulu called Ramen Heads. Becca found this one. It is in Japanese with subtitles. Uh, it also makes you very hungry if you at all like ramen. Oh my You're God. Gonna want to eat all of the ramen afterwards. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's, we get a lot of our information from this documentary in terms of the culture surrounding ramen and the dedication and commitment that the chefs have. And we, I think I'll speak for both of us, like very much gained a new appreciation for all things ramen after watching this documentary. And that 
as I think Gretchen said, was on Hulu. So check that out if you have Hulu. We also talk a little bit about our video games that we like, you know, since we say we like them, you might <laughs> be curious as to which, which video games we do like. And so <laughs> we talk about that some more towards the mm-hmm. end. There are some interesting crossovers with two of our favorite video games and our topics today. So we, how could we not? It's true. That's true. We really did need to talk about it. So, yeah no option we are so we'll uh, link all the information on the website as usual so find all that information at highgluttony.com and we're on youtube instagram and facebook Fa- facebook facebook yeah facebook <laughs> all, all the handles are high gluttony because i got them all <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time <laughs> oh Years no ago. well kind of yeah, long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for joining us, our gluttoneers. We hope you have fun with ramen. Again, this is a couple of sections like we've been doing. So we're going to kick you off in just a minute with our section one outline. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy. Hooray! All right. Our first part, we are going to start off with talking about what kinds of stocks that we're both using, talking a little bit more in depth about the ingredients that we both use. And then we are going to start to outline our first couple of steps of the recipe, which are mincing garlic, ginger, shallot, and grinding sesame seeds. And the the grinding of the sesame seeds is like the most exciting part because we have some lovely audio for you all because it was very fun. (laughs) So fun. And then we cook things. <laughs> so, <laughs> so after the preparation of items, then we are cooking them. So we're doing all of our aromatics first. I believe I start calling them that in the episode. But if not, let's, we'll introduce that here. Heating our oil, adding the garlic, ginger, shallot, and meat first, right? Because mm-hmm. And we saute that. And after that's pretty well cooked through and fragrant, add spicy bean paste, miso, and the sesame seeds and sugar. And then straight after that, you add your sake and stock and simmer, season your white with white pepper and salt. And then we close out this section with our broth kind of combining and us both discussing what cannabis we're enjoying as we cook. Yay, part one. Okay, we are a going. Here we go. Mostly prepped. Yeah. <laughs> Got myself on low here. Feels like I'm warming up some. Okay, low recording. heat on our pans. Yeah, I've, I've had it on low. Does it say low heat? <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. We should oh. read the ingredients <laughs> and then right. talk about step one. <laughs> okay. So today we are making a miso ramen. We're, we're cooking from justonecookbook.com which thank you to Tamara for the suggestion of this wonderful new food blog. I don't know if she has a book, but I think I need to get it if she does. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tamara. This has been a fun adventure. Yeah. Obsessed with this website now. I will make all the things. <laughs> for the soup, we're using already made broth to, to start with, or stock, pre-made stock is what we're starting with. I discovered during the, the documentary that we'll talk about in a minute that I could just go on a freezer cleaning binge 
And so <laughs> I've got duck stock and pork stock, and I'm going to mm. add chicken stock. Nice. We're going for all the stock. All we're the stock. Of, we're doing one of those. Yep. So we're doing, what is that? Three meat stock? Three meat stock. Yeah, you are. Just, just, just no beef. No anyway. Beef. And then I'm doing a plant-based one. So it's a veggie stock I made with just basically carrots, celery, onions. I think there might've been some garlic, some shallots, maybe something like that. And then I added some porcini powder. And then I also added some umami bouillon. Mm. They describe it as a pleasant savory taste with dried seaweed, mushrooms, has tons of fun stuff. Anyway, so that's what's going on in my <laughs> stock. Pre-made stock. Pre-made stock that we both pre-made. Right. <laughs> Each ourselves. Going into this pre-made stock, or well, I should say our pre-made stock is going into, you know, what my one criticism is that I would love it if this was written in the, the, the like, what, the order things are added. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I like that when ingredients flow the steps. So... So really it would be your, you would start with, you would add one tablespoon of sesame oil to your medium low pan. So I've got mine, mine has a scale of what? High to low. And in between you've got one through nine. So I'm putting mine on a three and I'm going to add my sesame oil because my pan's already been hanging out here on the heat for for a little while. And that, again, that's one tablespoon sesame oil, right? Correct. Okay. And then you're going to, adding to that one and a half teaspoon of minced garlic, feel free to add more or less as you like. Thank you. I did. You know, I did too. (laughs) Of course. And (laughs) I have a teaspoon of ginger and I'm pretty sure that even though I've scaled this up, I've scaled it up on a scale of more garlic and ginger than I actually should have been putting in there, but I'm, you (laughs) know. Not, not egregiously. So I'm, I'm at, that's what I'm adding to mine right now. I added that to the sesame oil that was already in the pan. Oh, this smells good. I know. And we're adding our shallot too. Okay. Shallots going in. Shallots going in. I believe it says two shallots, right? One. One shallot, sorry. One shallot. But my one shallot was kind of two. So I'm mostly doing two. That's fine. A little extra onion flavor never kills anyone. Plus, <laughs> I'm sort of obsessed with how healthy onions are for you. They're actually a really good thing. So, so far, this is really good for you, what we've got yeah. going in here. It's all ve- basically vegetables. Right. I don't know if you would really consider ginger a vegetable, but I don't know why it wouldn't be considered a vegetable. I mean, these are just all sort spice, of... Spice, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of a spice. I mean, these all kind of are in the aromatics family, you know. Mm-hmm. That's why they smell so good when you cook them. Mm. They smell so good. All right. And to this, I will be adding some ground cork and cook that until it's no longer pink. Are you adding any, I mean, if you wanted to do something like ground pork that would be vegetarian, you could just do like um, ground up mushroom if you wanted to. Sure. Or tofu maybe. Or tofu. Is it, am I leaving this in the broth? I guess I am. What's that? I said, am I leaving the meat in the broth? I'm not straining it out, right? Oh, I guess not. Let's see. Yeah. Leaving it in. All right. Okay. So yeah, you, you could do like a like if a, a fine chopped tofu or something like that too. Although I think you'd probably just put that make that more of a topping. Okay. I don't know. I haven't cooked with tofu enough. Is it good to cook tofu in liquid? You've probably done that more than I have. 
It's fine. I mean, what what I enjoy the most about tofu is when it's crispy. But that being said, you can definitely, you'd want to drain it out as much as you could, and then you could crumble it and put it in. But it would have a really kind of silky, maybe even slimy texture. So you might want to hold it back or cook it first a little bit. Yeah, do a little but bit. But that would be fry. interesting. I think it would still lose any of that texture, but it wouldn't be as slimy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so after the ground pork, if you're doing that, we... then we will be adding ground pork or ground mushrooms or ground crumbled tofu or or nothing or nothing because <laughs> really ramen is whatever you want it to be. It seems like <laughs> <laughs> that is what we have learned. Yeah, it can be so many things. Yes, we've got our aromatics. Now I'm going to add the miso and the chili bean paste. And so that was three tablespoons of miso and spoon of the chili, spicy chili. Okay. And that next we're doing sugar and sesame seeds. So we just added three tablespoons of miso followed by one tablespoon of sugar. Oh, and one teaspoon of spicy bean paste. Thank you. Miso cooks can cook fairly quickly. And we're using, did we say it's a yellow or a white? Sorry, we're using white. Mellow white, I think is why I always want to say yellow. Yellow, (laughs) yellow. Right? We're both using white miso. And I couldn't find bean paste. I found a, I think, Korean version called Samjang which isn't totally the same, but has some similarities and crossovers. So we'll see how that works. I think this is how I end up with lots of things in my like pantry because <laughs> like I won't have the right thing. So I'll buy something that's sort of close to it. Right. <laughs> and then I'll find the right thing later and then acquire that thing also. Yep. yep. So I'm adding my sesame seeds. That's the next thing. And the sugar. And that was one tablespoon of sesame seeds. And those are roasted and then ground down a little bit. And they suggested in a mortar and pestle. I didn't have that. I just used a muddler. I did it in a mortar and pestle. And then we recorded the sound because it sounded really cool. Yeah. So we're going to insert that in because it's really fun. It's cool. Because they, they like pop. It's very fun. Especially if you put them in the pan, into the mortar and pestle right after you put them in a hot pan. Mm. Don't use and a then glass they mortar it. and pestle. That's the case. Mm. Do not put hot things. I did that today where I put something into hot glass that wasn't hot. And now I don't have that glass thing anymore. So. No, no. <laughs> so learn from me, children. <laughs> Trying to gauge how far... Oh, I, it just says to mix well. I guess I can add my chicken stock and my sake. Okay. Sake? Sake? How's this pronounced? Sake. Sake. So that's one tablespoon of sake and four cups of stock. Or the crazy amount I'm about to put into mine. Right. <laughs> Here goes two cups. And then I think this is another four cups. And oh my goodness, my pan is really full. <laughs> and I have more. Oh, ow. Oh. <laughs> Smack my head on my sheet, my my shield, <laughs> my hood, the hood. Oh, my, but this other. Are you stock, okay? I yeah, I, I'll be fine. I okay. just need to. I used to have some little 
I bought some of those like baby things that people put on the corners of tables and stuff when they have small children. Oh yeah, the like plastic bumper things. Because I kept doing that and I haven't done it in a long time. <laughs> and then season to taste with salt, right? Yes. And the white okay. pepper. Should, or do we feel like this broth is at a point or the stock is at a point where it can, I guess, okay, it's broth now. We're going to talk about all this in a minute and why we're trying to distinguish between these two. I'm liking how this is looking though. Yeah. And I mean, basically now my broth is done. Although it's quite, has a good layer of fat on it. I may do some fat separation from that. Okay. Defatting. We talked over defatting before. Nope. You really want one of these nice, Gravy separators, I think they call them for the most part. Like a slotted, yeah, it's got a slotted top. So that catches anything that you don't necessarily want going into your gravy. And then you have to have a stopper in the spout so that the fat doesn't get in. Okay, so Gretchen's holding the spoon in her right hand and the and what looks like a big measuring cup with a lip. Yeah. <laughs> and you're okay, huge, and yeah. so and you're just so you want to kind of skim along the top. Because most of your fat is going to be on the top of your stock because, you know, fat and water don't mix. Sure. So we'll talk more about this documentary at some point, but we both watched a, a documentary called Ramen Heads that we found on Hulu. And well, it was interesting found. to me. I found on Hulu. It was interesting to me which restaurants skimmed fat and which didn't or which chefs did. Yeah, it was cool. I just, my stock had a, had a lot of fat on it. So I'm thinking that that's probably more fat than I really want on the top. I'm fine with some, but I don't want it to be too standing much. out too much. Yeah. Yeah. But this is okay. why this is so handy. So the top part collects the fat still, and then you can pour out any liquid right. that's been separated back into your, in this right. case, stock. Cool. It's relaxing to watch you do it. <laughs> Fairly relaxing thing to do. I can like, see that. Yeah, you can get real finicky about it and just like spend so much time doing this. Sure. <laughs> get every piece of it. Every little bit of fat. But I don't want to go that. <laughs> I don't want to go to that extreme. Right. We've also put some nice like sesame oil in this. So I don't want to. Right. I was going to say, yeah. apparently this weed is really good for recording. <laughs> awesome. Let's talk about that real quick. What have you been enjoying while we've been making our stock and broth? So broth. I enjoyed a, or part of a, <laughs> lemon banana sherbet pre-rolled flour from Humboldt Farms. Nice. Well, they have the most darling little boxes. Cute. I love the marketing stuff. Sure. And then, it works. Yeah. And then the little joints like are super cute too because they've got like this like decorative filter to them. Fun. So they're they're pretty. And it's kind of like the case is really nice. <laughs> Might start keeping my vape pens in there. I tell you oh, I yeah. washed one of my vape pens. No, was it bad? Well, it wasn't good. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it does actually work still. That's good. But uh, don't don't leave vape pens in your pockets. Eek. Yeah. Not cool. Yeah. All right. What's going on with the terpenes in your oh terpenes? Strawberry lemon sherbet. What was it? Lemon banana sherbet. Lemon banana sherbet. Well, it's seventeen percent THC and point zero three percent CBD. Nice. So does it have terpenes listed? It doesn't. But I'm I'm also enjoying something with banana in the title, which 
surprises me, but also doesn't surprise me that that we're both doing something like that. And it's called Banana Trees with a Z. It's got a 22.5% THC, no CBD. And then it's mostly lemonine followed by caryophylline and pinene. Hmm. I'm enjoying it. I think it's making me feel pretty relaxed, which is nice. I feel like I often do. I try to find something that it makes me like a little bit more like amped up when we're recording, but it's kind of nice to just be like, yeah, feels good. Everything's fine. <laughs> All right, moving on to section two. We're getting our broth off the heat and I am still working on chopping all of my fresh toppings. Really, <laughs> really regretting not using frozen stuff like Becca did. <laughs> Then we're going to discuss ramen as a concept. So going back on the history, this is where we really dive into the uh, documentary quite a bit mm-hmm. and how much that raised our awareness of ramen and ramen culture and the people who worship at the altar of ramen, I guess, would be one way to say it. Like, <laughs> right. The ramen heads. The ramen heads. Yeah, it gives us a lot of insight. And as part of this, we spend a fair amount of time talking about a specific chef who was profiled in the documentary named Tomita and his ramen style. His restaurant named Tomita was voted the best restaurant three years in a row as of the documentary, it, he's which probably was, won more since then. Yeah, I think it was 2016 or something yeah. like that. It was like part of 2015, part of 2016. Mm-hmm. We talk about his ramen style and his approach and the way he runs his shop. And it's pretty interesting. So we hope that our enthusiasm comes through as we talk about this chef and and what we've learned through about ramen in general. Okay. Enjoy section two. Is your broth off heat? Yes. Okay. Okay. Because you're you're done cutting up your garnish right so i exactly now that our stock is mostly in a good shape we let that sit and then we pretty much just have to cook our noodles and finish our toppings so while we're doing that we've got lots of fun stuff we want to talk about now yes and and so becca's gonna lead the discussion and i will weigh in because i was a bad little chef and didn't do my prep so (laughs) So we pulled this information from a lot of sources. Primarily, it came from that documentary we, we referenced already called Ramen Heads. It was really interesting. It is English subtitled, so you, you kind of have to watch it. You can't really be doing other things unless you speak Japanese or hear it. Right. It can understand it. But we wanted to talk a little bit about the origins of ramen, at least as far as what we had found. And then a little bit about what makes ramen so special. Then we wanted to talk about the difference between sukeman and ramen. And then we're going to talk a little bit about types of broth and then miso, which is super interesting. And then we're going to talk about noodles and then finish out the last couple of things we want to talk about as we wrap up our toppings and noodle. So while Gretchen is prepping, we're going to start talking about the origins. I found a couple of different things online about the origins. In the documentary, it said that the roots were really from China or the Chinese who were making wheat noodles in a broth. It either came 
way back in 1688, or it came in 1859, or it came over in 1910, or it came over and became more popular after World War II. So there are a lot of variations, I think. Ultimately, some version of wheat noodle and broth that's been around in Japan for a while, even though this does have more roots, I think, in China in terms of just using wheat noodle and broth. A couple of variations have come about since then, including miso and tonkatsu, I think is how you say it. We're working on trying to pronounce these things correctly, but be, bear with us as we go. So one cool fact about ramen is that 80% of the ramen shops at the time of this documentary, which was, I think, 2016, were small businesses, specialty restaurants, and bars, all serving the that chef's favorite version or most practiced version or something along those lines. Each one has its own really unique flair, which is super cool and means that it is a little bit challenging for us to drill down in the little bit of time that we've been doing research on this, exactly what all of the variations are, since there are <laughs> many. So, so, so many. Right. So many. So we're we'll going to find list. Yeah. a list. We'll find a list so that you can read a list. We'll go through a couple different types, but there are more than you would ever realize. Right. With slight and distinct variations that change the whole thing. And I'm still trying to figure out what exactly all that means, but okay. So most of them are small businesses run kind of by individuals. They're often just like one chef in tiny little shops that are four feet by six feet or something ranging up to larger restaurants that have huge followings where people are waiting from 6am until two o'clock that day to eat a bowl of ramen. So I do want to point out though, that one of the things I noticed during the documentary and that they also called out is that it does really seem to be a male dominated industry. There are not a lot of female shop owners or female chefs. I hope that that is changing. I don't really know. Obviously all of this information was pre-COVID and I'm not sure what is happening right now with the restaurant industry in Japan, but our information is a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah, Gretchen, thoughts? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because when we first started talking about this, I thought that, I, I mean, there was really like a true ramen and that's not really the case. Mm. because it's done in so many different styles like it's done with meat it's done with fish it's done you know vegetarian it's done with four different types of meat in uh in the same broth right it's boiled for days it's made that day only it's got salt bases it's got miso bases it's got concentrate bases there are so many ways to make ramen right that's why we said we'll try and come up with a list of some sort but Even the few different that we found was basically not even really scratching the surface. But to a certain extent, they're all a brothy soup with other, I was going to say protein, but that's not really always necessarily part of it. I guess it is a bit more of a a meat thing than a veggie thing. Because like they do have the miso ones that are... Mm -hmm a bit more veggie, but they also use a meat broth generally. So, right. I think vegetarianism is pretty rare in Japan across the board. So I think it's becoming more common, but for the most part, it's not that normal. But yeah, there are so many different variations. There are so many different chef preferences 
one of the things I noticed in the documentary was some chefs pay such attention to detail. Like there was one chef, they profiled Osama Tomita and he overhears one of his apprentices saying, that'll be five minutes instead of that will be five minutes and makes him go stand outside for a little while. So it just goes to show the attention to detail that some people are paying. And I think his apprentices also referenced him as constantly hearing things, constantly smelling things, just to a super degree, always aware of everything that's happening around him through his senses. And so Tomita, at the time of this, was voted two years in a row the best ramen. Three. Chef in, three years in a row. Okay, three, three years, years in a row. I believe the there best. were three awards. Like, I remember the big scrolling across three. So. So awesome. Yeah. So his name is Osama Tomita. His restaurant is Tomita at Matsudo, which is an hour outside of Tokyo. So people will travel from Tokyo starting that. I think one person said they were on the 4.50 a.m. train. So they were up at 4 or 4.15 or something to go wait in line. The people start lining up as early as 6 or 6.30 And then they take reservations at 7 a.m. and give you a time to return at. So you can spend your whole day in this other city waiting again for one bowl of ramen. And it's such a testament to not only the effort the chefs put into it, but also the commitment. They call them ramen heads, but the Mm -hmm. commitment that ramen fans hold and will the the links they'll go to to seek out one bowl of ramen well because so basically the what do you want to call it the climax of this documentary was three of the best ramen chefs in mm. japan coming together to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of tomita's restaurant yes thank you apparently this cannabis kind of good for recording because i'm talking a lot through a lot of things but also not great for memory so <laughs> that's why I'm reading. I have notes. Yeah. But so, it's funny because yeah. like they only let they did it was 200 people. These mm-hmm. people started lining up at I think it was midnight the day before for the to, anniversary dinner. Yeah, right. And then they only let 200 people get in line. There were some people that showed up just after, and they were so bummed. Like totally. And so they did, yeah, these 200, served these 200 bowls of the special ramen, like collaborated on by all these guys. And it was so funny because they were, their recipe planning for that was so funny to me because I <laughs> that chef ego, you know, like, mm. which is pretty universal. We all have a bit of an <laughs> ego. So you put a couple of us together and it's like... <laughs> Oh goodness, these guys are so pretentious. But like they, they also like are they're so committed to it. So it's like because it's it, I just had no idea, and it's so integral. Like like it seems like it's just such a widespread thing in Japan. Like mm-hmm. there's this this one thing that every like every single shop has its own version of, and like you could spend your entire life trying ramen. And and like some of these guys like it seems like that's basically all they eat you know like exactly yes when you said the way that they wrote they created the recipe together was really interesting I agree because I remember thinking they never wrote anything down 
it was all just let's put in this chicken let's put in that chicken let's open it let's taste it let's see it what it looks like smell it okay that goes in that doesn't go in this much of that goes in just by smell and taste and sight and that was so cool that they have dedicated so much of their time to making this dish that they all know exactly just by the first like minute of interacting with this raw meat like what they will make their base out of it's so cool <laughs> like yeah all right yeah like and they got that special they had the special broth where they like i guess they kind of emulsify it, like let it cool down and then emulsify the fat into it and and they made, they did like a first test run and they were like no this is not good like mm-hmm. and it was so funny because they were like we just I don't know, it either is too much like us or not enough like us. And I was like, right. okay, it's not exactly what they said, but like, I know, I was like, so, I don't remember that part. <laughs> oh, I just, I think because I was just laughing because they were like, back to the drawing board and, you know, started over. So I was just amused by the chefiness of it all. Totally. But so. Tokyo alone has over 10,000 ramen shops, or, you know, there were. But right. this dish for a long time, was really a dish for a working person because it was everything you needed, all of the nutrients, carbs, protein, all of those things you needed to get through the day in one meal that was quick and affordable. And so that's obviously evolved over time now to the point where there are even ramen restaurants with Michelin star rating. So it has evolved a lot and clearly we're just scratching the surface of what some people I think consider like a lifetime commitment to understanding and learning for sure. Because the guy, my mom, this was my mom's favorite part of the whole documentary because we watched it together Mm -hmm. and that his, I think it was his oldest son was talking about like how he hasn't developed his taste yet. And right. You know, like, right. He's got a lot of long way to go or he was very funny. Yeah. It's such a familial industry. If your dad owns a ramen shop, it seems like there's a chance you'll develop that passion also. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to comment on is that the way that their apprenticeship works, and I think this is so fascinating because I was like, this is actually ingenious because like the chefs don't actually like teach their apprentices. They expect their apprentices to learn just by being there and like absorbing what's absorbing what's happening Mm -hmm. and that only way you're going to make it is if you really pay attention like they're not going to tell you anything you have to want to learn it you know Mm -hmm. so the main guy his you know he learned from his he was an apprentice too yeah who was like a god of ramen at the time i can't remember his name yeah i'd have to look it up eventually if you're good enough you're whoever you apprentice with will help you you know support you in getting your own place to do it. And I think exactly. that's, that's such a cool thing because it's, uh, what's the word I want? Generous, you know, like I, mm-hmm. this is my little piece of land and you go over here and have your own little piece of land over here. And Right. Learn what you can and then go make it your own and I'll be happy for you. Yeah. Tomita said, good ramen, you should be able to eat every day and not get sick of it. I think he then goes, I eat it every day. And then it showed him on his days off going to three different ramen restaurants. So that's all he is thinking about. I mean, obviously he's thinking about other things, but it's so cool. 
He makes a tonkotsu broth, which we'll talk about more in a second. But in his broth, there are three different types of sardines, powdered mackerel, pig heads, chicken feet, ginger, garlic, soy sauce stock, yuzu citrus, pepper, chili, bamboo shoots, seafood broth, fish powder, fish cake, pork, all of dried seaweed, all of these things go into it. And he has broth that has been, or or I guess broth that has been stewing and boiling for three days. Four days. He has four days, four days. Yeah. Then Or, then, or is it four different ones? So it's three days, two days, one day. And yeah, so it's four different types. So three, two, today, yesterday. There we go. And then he, <laughs> he comes in every morning and combines them. He's the only one who can do it in his shop and combines them into what will be that day's broth. Such dedication. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of passion in the ramen world. A little bit difficult to say exactly what makes it so special, but it also is so special because it's a labor of love. And that comes through when you're eating it. What would you say makes it so special? I mean, yeah, that everybody, like, that they all do it a little bit differently, but they Mm -hmm. all seem to appreciate that sort of the differences. Totally. Yeah, there's a lot of respect in the industry. Mm -hmm. A couple of quotes from the documentary were, patrons engage deeply with their bowls. And you see people just like breathing it in or smelling it in and then eating it with such joy and pleasure. And that was really cool to see, especially that 10-year anniversary dinner. Mm -hmm. They were just like panning across the diners, enjoying. They're all all silent. Totally. Another chef said, With ramen, you can develop a unique identity. It's a place to showcase your beliefs. And I felt like that really captured how these chefs approach approach ramen, that it is their belief system. It is totally powerfully a belief system. Absolutely. Yeah. That chef also said that it's the combination of ingredients in a specific order as you combine them that causes a series of chemical reactions that increase the umami flavor. What are your thoughts on that? I I don't, I don't, I can't say that I would disagree with that because, Mm -hmm. because there is basically a sort of way you're supposed to do things, but that's also dependent on what the flavors you want are. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it is because like, the ingredients you use are an expression of your beliefs and, you know, like it, it, I mean, it also can just be, you know, there was that one guy that owned the stall at the very busy, you know, he's like, I, on a really busy day, I'll do 1600 bowls. He's like, it's just, and he sort of basically was like, it's just food. Like, you know, right. There's a purpose for it. Yeah. And then you move on. Yeah. He's like, I want it to be really good but I'm not here to fuss over it all day. But this guy, totally. <laughs> the totally. I got. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, he was like, he said he goes through what two, at least 200. I think it was a hundred kilograms of meat every day. I was like, that's insane. How many pounds is that for people like me who <sighs> don't really know how to do that math? Cause a kilogram is at least two pounds. So it's roughly like over 200 pounds a day. Wow. So it's a whole cow. No, not really. But I was going to say, I think cows are about 400 pounds. <laughs> Half a cow. Okay, welcome to section three. 
we are spending the majority of this section talking about broth and miso, but we do kick it off by continuing to chat about Tumita because of his distinct style of serving noodles, which is called sukeman. And we'll talk a little bit about that more as you go through the section. But that was really interesting. I had never heard of that style before. And so we wanted to share that with you. And then we talk about broth some more. <laughs> but this time, <laughs> it's more conceptual, not practical. <laughs> so we, we learned about the types and, and that you can also use these singly or in concert with each other. They're usually some mixture. But we learned about tare, shio, shoyu, and miso. Right. And then once we've opened the door for miso, Gretchen gives us that deeper dive we mentioned earlier, talking a lot about how surprisingly versatile this accompaniment um, what would you. I mean, it's almost more of a, a seasoning or a flavor base. Because mm. mm-hmm. it's more akin to like a soy sauce or something along that line. Sure condiment it's not really condiment you don't really use it at the end you usually add it i think at least well but i think that's never mind no i'm gonna stop right there because i could go on and on i'm completely fascinated with miso in all of its forms at this point so so we'll say this versatile fermented bean product component product Gretchen breaks it down for a component product. Gretchen breaks it down for us between type, color, taste, location, and then even shelf life. So thank you, Gretchen. You're welcome. <laughs> Enjoy section three. We have been talking about this chef, Tomita, because the way that he makes his ramen is a little bit of a distinct style. And what that is, is called sukamen. And it is making the noodles, boiling them, and then cooling them down in cold water, and then putting them in an ice bath and serving them in their own bowl. And then on the side, you serve your broth and that's for dipping. So sukamen, I think literally means like dipping ramen. Very similar, slightly different. All of these are variations of udon or soba So these three things make up the three sort of traditional noodles in Japan, although there are so many. These are the most popular. Yeah, exactly. We wanted to point out those before we kind of talked about some of the different types of broth that we've come across. And and they, you you know, some, some versions use one or more of two or three of these, or so it's sort of interesting that, that these, these exist. Because they're they're distinguished, but then again, combined and changed and varied. And so these are the ones we've come across, like we said. I think we'll, ha- we'll have to do ramen part two or, you know, a different style or because this is a, so the one we're doing today is a miso ramen. Yeah. Just one style of many styles. So, right. The, the first one we're going to talk about is tare, which basically is like a really concentrated, almost like it's a priming seasoning for the bowl. Like Hmm. the way I saw it was they would put the tare in the bowl and then they would add a a different other broth on top of it that then that mixture of the two is then the basis for that ramen dish by at all interpreting that correctly. (laughs) I, that sounds 
good to me. It does have dried seaweed, some sake, some soy sauce, and mirin. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was, I mean, most, most of the recipes that had one of those on them, that was basically like, you need these four things. <laughs> <laughs> and you will mix them together, and then that, you start with that. <laughs> and then the next one is shio, which means salt. And this is really one of the older variations. I think it's one of the more traditional styles. It tends to be a little bit of a clearer broth. One of the restaurants that was profiled in that documentary, they made their shiho broth just from red snapper, mm -hmm. came out to this really beautiful golden color, but very clear. So is this shoyu? Shoyu or soy sauce is a darker, clear broth base. Definitely uses the soy <laughs> and is typically with a chicken or seafood broth rather than pork, which is fairly common for a lot of different types of ramen is at least the inclusion of some sort of pork broth. Mm -hmm. I like this. This sh shoyu is a great mixer. It's it's sort of, I guess it would sort of be similar to the, the, the tare where it's sort of added to or works with other broths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Concert. Mm -hmm. Melody of broth. And then the next one we want to talk about is miso, which is that's the recipe that we're basing our ramen off today. Although like Gretchen said, hers is throwing in a little bit of, I guess your stock also had animal mm -hmm. protein. So yes. in some ways it could be a tonkotsu. Right. If I'd had pork, then yes. Because the... To me, tonkatsu is usually pork right. almost 100% of the time. Like, okay. Because I'm pretty sure tonkatsu actually is like a word for pork. Tonk pork is synonymous with tonkatsu. Right. But miso is, Gretchen has tons of fun facts about miso coming up, but it is a bean curd paste. The story is much like if you listen to Roots to Bud's Canna Quest, where we are drinking Negronis and tell the story of Count Negroni, who walked into a bar and asked to change an Americano by adding gin. The story about Miso is that a drunk guy walks into a ramen shop and says, can you add noodles to the Miso pork soup that you have? And apparently that's how Miso ramen came about. So again, ask for what you want and you could spark a whole food or drink revolution. <laughs> and then right. one other that they mentioned in the documentary was something called niboshi, which is just made from dried sardines. So I threw that on there because I hadn't come across anything else that was exclusively dried sardines based. So I thought that was kind of cool. I missed that one. I, would, I, would, I clearly wasn't paying attention. Just dried sardines. That's all, that's all you need. Just yeah, sardines. <laughs> I had no idea. Miso also seems to be a bit like every region has its own. Mm. It's got several different styles. So you can't really predict which, what's going on with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there, there are sort of a few sort of general types that they make. So and basically miso is any combination of the things that I am about to say. <laughs> All the different types. There's by ingredient type. So there's rice miso. That's probably the most uh, common, I guess. Uh, it seems to be a, it's a mix of fermented soybeans and rice. 
And okay. And there was a, another component to that about um, because it's not just rice. Like it's not it's a, a rice something. <laughs> <laughs> so referred to as rice, but actually has a couple of components. It's it's rice koji. K-O-J-I. Hmm. So ko- cooked? Any cooked green. I guess it's like, yeah, cooked grain or because you also get soybeans and those are a legume. So you've got rice or barley or soybean koji. So those are the the three types of koji that can be added to the miso. Typically, the miso is made with soybeans. They do make it with other beans because occasionally people are allergic to soy. Mm-hmm. So, But then you also have a color component where there's red, white, and yellow. Red is basically, it has the longest fermentation period, at least a year, up to a year and a half, and generally is 70% soybean and 30% rice or barley. And then red miso has the highest level of protein. This is also from Just One Kitchen or Just One Cookbook. Is that what it is? Just One Cookbook. Just One Cookbook. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So you've got red, white, yellow. We've gone over red. Now we're going to white. White is 40% soybean and 60% of rice or barley. You don't you don't have as long of a fermentation period. So it's typically a little bit not not quite as intense. So like it's like kind of the difference between cream cheese and parmesan. Creme fraiche. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, creme fraiche is a little closer to the that would be fresh, you know, like mm-hmm. cuz it's creme fraiche. <laughs> I was just thinking of flavors. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Yes, fresh. (laughs) And then yellow is red and white mixed together. So, oh, of course. (laughs) uh, And then you also have sweet, mild, or salty misos. They're slightly different flavor profiles. This is very confusing because now there's this thing on here called koji miso. And I was like, wait, isn't koji part of miso? Right. And then... It can be a regional thing. So from what I understand, you could have like a white regional, typically with a rice koji in it, you know, like mm-hmm. if I'm understanding mm-hmm. this correctly, it just, it just depends. It just depends. The one woman ran restaurant in the documentary was called Ichifuku and she makes a miso and tonkotsu combo, but her miso base I guess, or maybe the whole thing. It took her 10 years to develop this flavor that she uses now. And she uses four types of red and white miso from Shinshu and barley miso from Nagasaki for a hmm. five miso blend. <laughs> so we, we were really lame in how we did not go for multiple types of miso. How long does miso last? So it can last a long time. Basically, since it's a fermented product, and may, maybe we'll also talk about my white, my white, my old ass white pepper right now, because to the extent of if you open it and it smells like something you wouldn't want to eat, probably I'd get rid of it. Or if it has mm-hmm. no smell at all, then you you know it probably just won't have any taste. So I think the mm. primary issue is that it, the flavor is going to dissipate over time. So the faster you use it, the better. It's the same as with spices and things like that. So basically the, the thing is, is they don't necessarily go bad, but they do lose, lose their potency. They lose some of their better qualities. So that's why it's better to use or have, you know, make sure you're turning over 
not buying huge amounts of spices often. Of course, today I discovered I'd bought cinnamon and then bought more cinnamon today because oh, of course, you know, yeah, that's my favorite game: buying more spices, more yeah. spice. So the miso. Miso well, can last a while, but you want to use it as quick as you can, kind of. Yeah, I I had a container of miso in my fridge for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> so not the best person to ask, because like <laughs> I do like it. I was really interested in like what else could I do with this miso? Although I did use a fair amount of the miso in the soup because I made a mm. triple batch, so I used right. A bunch of it for the soup but I was looking at other things I could do to use it up and like um, a fried pork cutlet and there's some cookies that I am absolutely going to make because they have sesame seeds on the outside and I am obsessed with seeing how this goes I must taste them yes and report out and report back yeah yeah so the the faster you can turn over your miso probably the better it is. Also, it's a probiotic because it's a fermented product. So your probiotics will be better the, the fresher it is. So that makes sense. I have not been giving miso its due for quite some time. So now it, I am on a mission to use up the miso that I have in my fridge, even though I used a lot of it. So I have maybe about a half a cup or so left. So that should be easy for me to use up. How much do the cookies need? two tablespoons. So I was like, well, this isn't really like biggest use, but I'm deeply curious. So double batch. (laughs) Good. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like miso is a hugely diverse product. You don't know what you don't know about something. Right. I probably could have spent three days researching miso to find out about all the types. Now we are on to section four, my favorite section. It's the noodle <laughs> section. <laughs> noodles. Noodle, noodles. <laughs> the noodle song? <laughs> it's a noodle song. I will write the noodle song. Noodles, noodles, it. noodles. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> promise I'll focus. I love it. <laughs> uh, so we, we discuss noodles. We talk how they're made, why ramen noodles are so special, how they've evolved over time. I think we get into that a bit. I, I think hope. so. If not, we'll just have to cut, cut, cut that out. I don't know. Or talk about <laughs> it more later. I'm not sure. <laughs> we then get into our boiling of our water. Just finishing up our last little details on toppings and get into the two most, well, I I can't say that. Like all of this is interesting. It's all interesting. Right. (laughs) But we do talk about a little bit more in depth about white pepper and butter as part of this section. Mm -hmm. Please forgive us for not being able to say the word oxidation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hey, I said it right. (laughs) No, wait, you said oxidation. Yeah. It's oxidization. Oxidization. There. That's perfect. Is it different? Is it the same? Wait. No, well, I don't know. Is. While you look that up, the last thing we talk about in this section is an ingredient from Ring Fit called Ashitaba, or sometimes referred to as Angelica. And Gretchen has been wanting to find a way to 
talk about this ingredient for a long time because it is one of the really fun, surprising ingredients that are in Ring Fit. So we go into a little bit of a little journey side quest about that, which is super fun. Wait, oxidation is the combination of a substance with with oxygen, while oxidization is the verb of oxidation, I guess. What? Oh. Kenzie doesn't like it. No, Kenzie doesn't like it either. Well, we struggle with that word as we are still struggling with its meaning. (laughs) We'll fall down that rabbit hole later. (laughs) So enjoy section four. (laughs) (laughs) Because I love noodles, we got to talk about the noodles. So we got to talk about noodles. Have we got to talk about noodles? Pretty much consistently, ramen noodles are made from a combination of wheat flour, salt, water, and something called kantsui, which is alkaline water. And what's important about this is that it contains sodium carbonate and sometimes potassium carbonate and a little bit of phosphoric acid sometimes. And so this distinguishes the ramen noodle from other noodles. Yeah, it helps contribute to that springy texture. Okay. It also gives it that slightly yellow color. What were we talking about? The noodles, the kansui. Oh, it oh, gives right, it that yeah. texture. Right. So when we talked about this the other day, I, we were talking about how I had come across a recipe that called for ramen flour. And I was like, well, what does that mean? So then, of course, I start Googling after we we'd talked. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just a strong, a stronger wheat flour. So more uh, gluten in it. Okay. So that it's got that chewier texture. You want to use bread flour. And even on top of that, get some vital wheat gluten to add to the flour. So there's even more gluten in it. And find that at a lot of grocery stores. Apparently, it's fairly common. Do you mean you need to do those things if you can't find kansui? Probably, yes. (laughs) Okay, right. Bread flour is its own special thing because you want more gluten because more gluten gives you more structure. But in this case, it's used to give it that chewy flavor. Yeah, sure. And I think they say it helps uh, helps reduce the moisture absorption. Uh, I would bet that's true. I don't, I don't, I don't remember that bit, but mm. I believe you. <laughs> I'm just reading. <laughs> the uh, instant ramen noodles really didn't come about until uh, I think it was like 1957 was what it said in the documentary. Although I had heard it was just after World War II, so I guess it could be either or, or mm-hmm. maybe there's I some think- dispute. <laughs> I think it could be either or, and probably there's dispute also. What I saw was that in an effort to get like wheat protein to soldiers stationed in Japan or in the area during World War II, the American troops started shipping these little like packets of wheat noodles. So who knows? I guess we have to do a little more research to see if we can figure out the, uh, the answer to that. Absolutely. One other thing that was cool was that they said that some ramen noodles substitute eggs for kansui because eggs will give you, I guess, a similar Mm -hmm. benefit. Another thing that separates ramen is their size. And in that documentary, we saw everything from handmade and thick and long to thin and curly to some combo in between to hand cut even that were totally different. So I think the size can vary a lot too. Yes, this is very true. They were very uh, 
on about their noodles for the most part. I mean, that was uh, you saw you saw a recipe method for what was it? Wrapping your noodles in plastic and then stomping on them on the floor. And we saw in the documentary there was one guy who had this huge piece of bamboo and he'd lay out his noodles on the countertop and then put the bamboo on the bamboo under his leg trunk, I guess. Yeah. On top of that. And then he'd swing his right leg around over the top of the bamboo and then make this like swinging motion and kind of like bounce on one leg and swing down with his right leg and push him down all the way from one end of the counter to the other. And that was wild. I mean, it's just the kneading process. So developing that gluten. I had just never seen anything like that. It was so cool. Then that guy would finish with hand kneading with his eyes closed. He said it yes. tasted better when he did it with his eyes closed. Well, so my my theory is that it's not actually that his eyes closed make it taste better, mm-hmm. but that that the so attuned to his sense of touch that he has to basically li- eliminate the sensor, the other sensory, so that he can really feel the texture of the dough. That makes sense. Sorry, I decided that the water got a little funky, so I was gonna, I'm going to replace it and then cook my noodles. Oh, I didn't know you had your water boiling. Yeah, no, <laughs> I and I was like, and I hadn't even told you that my water was boiling, so yeah. maybe you need to get your water boiling. Okay, I'll do that. Because I've got, I've got pretty much everything else ready here. We've been talking about noodles, and now we're going to talk about two little sort of unique ingredients that, well, Gretchen's using both today. I couldn't find one of them, so I'm not using both of them. But we had found the addition of one of these in another recipe. So Gretchen, would you mind talking a little bit about why these two things are cool and loathed? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Butter and ramen, <laughs> which I, Hello. to which I say, how could adding butter to anything be bad? Yep. Yes, please. Yep. Yes, please. So I, we voted to do that because we thought it would be kind of fun. And then white <laughs> pepper also comes up fairly frequently. And I just want to talk about this because in culinary school, <laughs> they forced us to use white pepper in things like mashed potatoes and all these other things. And I hate white pepper with a fiery passion (laughs) deep, deep in my soul. It's your parsley. It's my parsley. (laughs) Did I write that? Mm -hmm. It's it's my turn. No, but uh, I just was thinking the way you were talking about it reminded me of how I feel about parsley. So, you know, they're like, you don't want black flecks in your food. So you have to put white, this white pepper in because it's going to be prettier, blah, 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 blah. I hate it. I, to me, <laughs> it, it real, it smells like shit, like actual shit. It smells like shit to me. So, so what is the difference between white pepper and black pepper? White pepper and black pepper and green peppercorns are all the same plant. It just depends on how you treat the berries, which is what makes the spice. Cool. If you preserve like typically green peppercorns are like brined. So they actually like preserve the outer layer as a green outer layer. Like that when they grow, that's what they they look like. If you let it dry, that outer layer turns black. So that's your black peppercorns is that outer layer that has dried and you're, you get some oxidization going on. Oxidization. 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 
oxide oxidization. Yes. Where it oxidizes. Okay. Oxidization. Okay. I think you can do that. I don't know. Sure. Now we are. Okay. White. So that's black pepper. That's black pepper. Then white pepper is where you let it ripen, but then you take the outer coating off. It it's black pepper just without the outer part of the pepper. Hmm. So I don't understand why I hate it so much (laughs) because it's the same thing, but it. To me, it's got to have that out black outside. Otherwise, I think it's gross. So I think it's really, really weird that like, it's like my whole like not liking fish thing that doesn't make sense to me. But right. You know, yeah. The, the butter thing just adds a little richness. It's I mean, I, I as I said, love me, um, love me some butter. So let's put it on some ramen. I am down for that. Totally. Was there anything else you wanted to say about white pepper? You said you wanted to bring up Ashitaba or Angelica. Yeah, just because I finally have a reason to bring up bring up one of the weird fucking foods that's in Ring Fit that <laughs> like I was like, what is this? And then I'm like, I fucking know what this is. But I was really interested to learn that I know this as an herb called Angelica. Mm. I feel like it's used a lot with fish, but I guess historically it was used to like they make like a sweet with it and they use it to decorate cakes. But it's oh, like, interesting. It's sort of so it's in the carrot family, or at least a, one of the varieties comes from Japan. So it's very frequently used in Japanese cooking, which it's makes what, sense because yeah. it's Nintendo based in Japan. Right. And mm. the only reason I was I even looked into that was because I noticed one of the famous chefs towards the end of the documentary. They were like showing an example of one of his dishes and it had an angelica leaf on it Mm. so i was like wait a minute like so i had to google it and like they use it all over the place in their cooking i was cool amazed it's like so it's a root vegetable and the flower you use also yeah so you can use the roots the leaves and the stalks i think the stalks are frequently what's candied cool and then the leaves, you can just use like spinach or any other green, I guess. It, it does have kind of like an anise-like fa- flavor. Mm. But yeah, I've wanted to talk about the, the weird things in Ring Fit for the longest time. And I was like, <laughs> ah, I could kind of bring something up. I was so excited. Actually, so, even the way you just went like, ah, reminded me of Ring in Ring Fit. When he goes, ah, ah. <laughs> I had heard of Angelica. I don't know if I'm making this up or not, but I... I thought Angelica was also a type of, like, alcohol in the olden days. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's entirely possible because it does have, like, an anise-like flavor, so it wouldn't surprise me. I guess it's a type of brandy. Oh, okay. So it's like a a brandy infused with Angelica? I guess. Oh, it's from Candied Angelica. Oh, my God, my water's boiling. Section five, our last section. You made it. Where we (laughs) we finish up our toppings and share our last steps with our gluttoneers. Gretchen shows us this really cool way to make a scallion flower in this part. So I think we'll do a video of that. Yes, we'll have a video. F-L-O-W-E-R, not F-L-O-U-R. Flower versus flower. We cook our noodles, assemble our bowls, and get to slurping, which Becca's <laughs> not going to do because she doesn't, she objects to slurping as a sound. I can't, but, <laughs> oh, 
even thinking about it since like oh I hate it so much I can't I'm not I hate mouth sounds I'm just oh anyway anyway enjoy section five sand slurping <laughs> sounds <laughs> yeah we didn't include them but enjoy that that way please so Gretchen's wrapping up her toppings yep I've got my so I've got my eggs so I made some marinated eggs to go with mine my eggs are not very pretty though I need older eggs older eggs make nicer uh, peel nicer Oh, what are you slicing up there? I'm doing some green onions. So I'm doing my, I'm getting ready to do my scallion flour trick, which I need some ice water to do it. Okay. I'm going to simmer these pieces of bacon that I made. Okay. In the broth that I, or the marinade thing that I made. Sort of, sort of do it like the, uh, what's that word? Charsu, the charsu ramen. Is that what it was? Shasu. C-H-A-S-H-U, which is a braised pork belly. So I'm, I'm making a sort of fast bastardized version with some bacon that I had in the freezer that I had made at home. So it's not like bacon, bacon, but uh, so doing sort of a similar broth. Just, yeah, I was just wondering if I should do a quick dunk on my bok choy. Got it. And then, and then cooking my noodles. I don't think any of the, the chefs would have, would approve of that from yesterday, but... I think I might just put my mushrooms in raw. Okay. And once uh, once it's hot. Yeah. I was trying to decide that too because I have my atakis and they're so thin. I didn't yeah. want to. I think if you assemble your bomb at your bowl, if you and buy it and then pour the hot stock over them and let them sit in the stock for a minute, that should be plenty. Okay. Mushrooms do cook very quickly. Right. Scallion flowers. Hey, great. So it's scallion flower time. We're making scallion flowers, or in my case, spring onion flowers. So lead me through this. So you have a lot more real estate to work with, whereas I'm working <laughs> with a scallion, a shallot, or scallion, scallion, a scallion. We're working with scallion. Okay, I'm working with scallions. Becca's got green onions. Spring onions. Spring onions. So you want to slice not all the way down to the root. So you want towards the bay, the root. So you would flip it around. Yep. And so then you would cut in half. So you cut the bulb in half? Yes. So yes, you're cu- cutting that bulb in half. So you leave the top part intact. You leave, Yeah, you have to leave some of the root intact. So that's to hold it together. Kay. Otherwise, you, you can just make little curly cues with them. Okay. It's not quite as impressive. Got Uh, Nope, the other way. Shit. Sorry. So I busted it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'll watch you do it. Okay. <laughs> So there's like green to white. Right. And so you, you want to cut kind of close to the, like where there's still some green and you need to leave your root end intact because that's where the okay. base of your flower is. So if it's a green onion or a scallion and you're looking at white to green, you want to leave I'm, the very white tip intact. Yes. And so you want to cut from a little, a little bit, bit of, away from that mm-hmm. all the way down to where it starts to like branch out right. into the little actually I have another one. Huh. I have three. So I can do okay, it again. Good. Okay. <laughs> Mine's a little bit closer to the bottom because it's a, a scallion. So yours is probably what about five inches long? Yeah. That thing you're holding? Mine yeah. is probably at most three. So right. Mine's yeah. also about an inch and a half wide. Yeah, it's so a lot bigger. So you this is you're huge. gonna you're gonna have a much cooler flower than I am. <laughs> uh, you're also gonna need some ice water. 
just so you know. Okay. Ice water. Check. Okay. So you had the sort of the right idea before, just the wrong end of your onion. <laughs> Got it. All right. Let's try this again. How is this? Brilliant. All right. All right. Now you turn it so that you cut it so that it's quarters, but also still attached. So you got your first cut and then you turn it a quarter of the way and get your second cut. So, so cutting along the same lines as the first cut, you're now just making four sections instead of two. Right. Got it. Now this is as far as I can go, but you okay. might be able to get in another couple cuts. I you see. might be able to cut yours into eighths. I think I could. It's starting to separate and kind of flail out a little. That's so okay. Don't worry. I might. Okay. So while we're cutting this, one of my favorite things about that video game Persona 5 mm-hmm. is that it's based in Japan and a portion of it is kind of like battling things. Another portion of it is just living as a high school student in the Shibuya prefecture of Japan. Oh yeah. And so you have to like take the subway and know the stops and explore the neighborhoods of the like the surrounding neighborhoods of Shibuya. And they spent a ton of time getting all of the detail really accurate. So when you get off the subway station at Shibuya and you walk around and look around, it's reflective of what is real in that station. And so you have to spend all this time experiencing Japan And it's such a fun way to play the game because it's so, they spent so much time getting it right that it feels so immersive. And I love that part of it. It's so fun. That is really cool. So when you're done making your cuts, uh, submerge your onion into the ice water. So it's kind of just like other way shredded. Yep. That, that looks great. Look, okay. And yours already <laughs> starting to curl, so. Yeah. So it's kind of cool if you get some, like, variation. These were pretty skinny, so, like, they probably aren't going to make the best flowers, but. Get oh, flowers, I yeah. see. We're not, like, chopping it up from this or anything. That's the flower. Yeah. Cool. I mean, it's a kind of a useless thing to do, but. No, it's so fun. <laughs> But it's also cool. Super cool. All right. So I'm going I'm to boil my noodles. All right. So noodle time. I found fresh noodles. You Yay. found fresh noodles. Yeah. See how these are? I've not used them before. So hopefully they're good. Same. This says bring a big pot of water to a rapid boil and then tease the noodles apart. Cook over high heat for two minutes. You should have opened these before. Oh, these are what? It's a woman-owned business. Yeah, it is. Okay, I'm going to heat my broth up a little because I had it off. Oh, right. I was also going to do that. How do I put this big giant scallion spring onion flour on it? Just like drop it in one of the bowls? Yeah. Okay, cool. (laughs) Sorry, yours is going to be funny, but. I know, I'm excited. Oh, these, the ramen guy, the ramen heads would be so mad at me for my noodles right now why what happened oh they kind of stuck to the bottom oh nuggets yeah i haven't put mine in yet i've been procrastinating because my broth isn't hot Mm, that's probably smart (laughs) they're not overdone thankfully are you stirring your soup over there yeah does it sound like i'm in a river i mean sort of wow this broth is good is it yes i haven't actually tasted it yet all right oh you gotta taste it huh Oh, these you can fr- these noodles you can freeze. So I'm rinsing mine. Okay. Okay. Oh, I gotta cut my eggs. Oh. Do yours say rinse with cold water and then put some oil on it? Uh, no. It just oh. says serve with your broth. Okay. So mine says to put oil with it. I was thinking some a little sesame. Yeah, that's probably what uh, I would do. Okay. okay. Ooh. 
my marinated eggs, although they are not very pretty, the the yolks turned out perfect. Yay! Beautiful. So what all toppings are you doing then? Too many. Uh, Too many. Tell me all about it. So I've got sliced green onions. I've got mushrooms. I've got some braised bacon in shasu style. Mm -hmm. I've got baby bok choy. I've got my Mm. flowers and my marinated egg. Nice. That sounds delicious. So I've got my mushroom broth. Then I'm doing spring onion tips, mushrooms, which in my case is my ataki, corn, bok choy, and broccoli. So my noodles are in the water. They're cooking up. I'm using some chopsticks to separate them as they cook. I'm spilling a lot of water and making a mess on my electrical stovetop. Final thoughts on ramen? I guess, should we taste it first before we <laughs> offer Probably. Those? Probably. Yeah. I should at least taste my broth, make sure it tastes okay. Yeah. I'm that excited to know about what your broth is like. There were times when watching that documentary made me wish I eat meat again. It's not... Um... I guess maybe I've never had miso ramen before. Not totally what you were expecting. Well, I think I was thinking more along the lines of miso soup, which is a bit more delicate. And this is definitely like kind of a very filling broth. So sure. Kind of different. Mine stuck to the bottom too. All right. Rinsed with cold water. I'm going to add a tiny bit of sesame oil. Okay. And then are you doing noodles into broth? I'm going well, to pour my broth over it. Okay, so you're going to assemble first. Okay, so talk me through your assembly. All right, so I put the I put the noodles into the bowl first. Then I topped with a little bit of, of each mushroom. Okay. Some, and then some of the bok choy. And I stuck a spring onion flour on the side. Now I'm going to okay. put a little bit of uh, my meat on top here. Sort of an interesting flavor texture combination. And then I put a little green onion to one side. And then okay. I'm going to put my broth on. I think I need more broth. I've got a lot of pork in here. Uh, like I, I've been pouring broth in and I can't, I still can't even see it. Uh-oh. Uh, I think this might be a very hearty meal. <laughs> well, the scallion flower is beautiful. Uh, you mean your spring onion flower? I'm sorry, my spring onion flower, yeah. I just have to make sure my broth is heated up enough to cook these on these mushrooms. When are you going to add your butter? Oh, I'm going to put it on top. Okay. One more thing that we wanted to talk about now that we have pretty much put all of it together. I still have to add my broth, but otherwise assembled. Apparently the best only way to enjoy ramen is by slurping it up. Mm -hmm. I have a huge problem with mouth sounds. So this was an issue for me throughout the entire documentary and just life. (laughs) (laughs) And I get why that's important in this moment. So I'm not going to do it. I hope you do it. I hope everyone at home does it. It's not my thing. I don't want to hear you do it. And (laughs) I'm just, I'm really glad that we all know you have to slurp it while you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. It's essential. All right. Okay. Please go. Enjoy and see you for the next high gluttony marathon. Yes. So thanks for joining us. This was an epic adventure in the land of definitely high gluttony. Mm-hmm. We learned so much and we rec- highly recommend watching Ramen Heads. If you mm-hmm. haven't gotten that idea by now, we do. <laughs>
So go forth, make ramen. We highly encourage you to find a recipe you like to then make it your own. We talk a lot in the rep in, we don't talk a lot. We talk briefly about ramen being a belief system for a lot of these chefs. And so if you're into this, we hope that you can find your own ramen belief system and let us know about it. I mean, I'm not there yet, but I have a lot more styles to explore. So I will Mm -hmm. definitely be doing that. And I'll follow Gretchen's journey because most of those will probably include me. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Let's not lie to ourselves. They will. (laughs) Right. Anyway, follow us and uh, your favorite podcasting app that we're a part of. And also (laughs) Facebook, Instagram. We have a website where we post all our info. And uh, thank you for joining us. And YouTube. Yes. Make sure you join the YouTube. (laughs) The YouTube. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. We had fun. We hope you have fun. Hi, gluttony! (laughs) (laughs) Until next time.